All right, that David show, and I'm lucky enough to have JJ Stankovich, who covers the Chicago Bears for NBC Chicago. Follow him at JJ Stankovich. How are you doing, JJ? I'm good today. Uh, just two week, excuse me, two weeks before the trade deadline, and working through a big post on NBC Sports Chicago right now about some guys the Bears could wind up trading for in the next couple days. Oh, so you want to skip to the la- the end of the, the question there that I was going to give you today? You let's go straight to that then. That let's was- do it. Yeah. All right, so uh, so listen, this was my thoughts to you. Um, one, it, with the way that the Bears are playing, and I, I was going to leave with me being a curmudgeon. Uh, I did not, because I had you coming on, I did not listen to the Undercenter podcast because I don't like to steal questions. I said, I'll wait. But looking at the title, I felt that me and you are in the same vein because I'm being a curmudgeon at 5-1. and one. But we'll get into that after this. So listen, they are 5-1. and one. And let's just say now, let's just say, for instance, they end up, and you say that two weeks is the deadline. Let's just say they win the next two games, all right? Mm-hmm. Just say they win the next two games. You have to then start looking at, regardless of how well the offense is playing, you have a chance. And what would they be willing to give up for said person that you're about to tell us about, said players that you're about to tell us about? Right, and, and it's a tricky spot because the, the Bears, I mean, they're, they're really fortunate to be 5-1. and one. I know we're going to talk about that later. Um, but – the, do you, how much do you want to sacrifice in 2021? That is what you're, you're trying to determine right now. That's what I'm sure Ryan Pace and his front office are trying to figure out. And what I'm writing is that the Bears should not give away the farm right now. But they need to be aggressive. And there are guys out there who can help their team right now who are not going to cost a first-round pick or are not going to cost a, a bunch of money tied up into the cap. When going forward, you don't have a deal done with Allen Robinson yet. So I identified, I got 13 guys who I was like, you know what, I would go and consider these guys if they are available. Um, you know, most of the players are on the Jets or the Giants or the Texans. I mean, the, the worst teams in the league. And there are certain guys who I think could be had for mid-round picks, late-round picks, who don't cost a lot of money, who would be perfect additions for this team. Um, they, what they need is a left guard. First and foremost, that was kind of my first priority segment in this article. The guy I think who makes the most sense, go call up Houston and their general manager list team. <laughs> Zach Fulton from Homewood. He was a Homewood Flossmore graduate, a guy I thought the Bears would target in free agency a couple years ago. Uh, has experience in Matt Aggie's offense. He played center, right guard, and left guard with the Kansas City Chiefs between 2014 and 2017. Uh, he's got, I think, two years left on his contract. That's pretty cheap. Guy, you could go out and just plug and play at left guard. Immediately, that makes the left side of your offensive line better. It's not going to be as good as it was when James Daniels was in there. But seeing what Rashad Coward and Alex Bars did over the last couple of weeks, you got to get better there. There are a couple guys out there I think they could go for. Kevin Zeitler, just one other name. He would be, I mean, your, your home run trade acquisition with the New York Giants if David Gettleman's willing to give him up. He's a tremendous run-blocking right guard. He also is going to cost a lot. You might have to give up a second-round pick and pay him a lot of money to come to Chicago. But, hey, if you're saying this is our year, we can go to the Super Bowl with this team as constructed if we get a good left guard in there, maybe you do it. Real quick, JJ, before you move on, uh, with the Giants player, how long is his contract? Because looking at James Daniels returning next year, and again, you're right, this is about winning this year. James Daniels is out, so you, you have to try to win this year. But I'm just thinking about, would you, would you move him if the contract extended where Fetty is? Like, how would that play out if, if the contract is more than just this season? Yeah, so actually, Jermaine Fetty only being on a one-year contract gives you a little bit of wiggle room here. 
Um, Zeitler and a lot of these guys are under contract through 2021. Uh, The other guys I mentioned, James Carpenter is under contract through 2021. He's on the Falcons now. Uh, Billy Price, kind of a first-round bust with the Bengals. He's under contract for a couple more years. Um, So you do have some flexibility there, but a lot of these guys, too, have outs in their contracts where you can get out from them pretty easily after the season if you don't want to take on that full cap hit in 2021. Zeitler only has $2.5 million in dead money. Zach Fulton is less than a million. Uh, James Carpenter, uh, another guy who could get out, you could get out for him pretty easily, too. So it would give the Bears some flexibility for 2021 while also addressing a need that is pretty redline right now in 2020. So on the defensive side of the ball, I'm sure if you did that with guard, we have to do that with tackle. I, I know it. Oh, oh, and also, just did you do anything with linebacker? But please get to tackle. I, I want to. Know- so I didn't do anything with linebacker. I, okay. I don't have. Look, the Bears. The Bears put all their eggs in the Danny Trevathan basket. Correct. You can't get out from that. You've got right. it. It's the same thing with left tackle, right? With Charles Lenny, you, you're not getting out from that this year. You're not getting out from Danny Trevathan right now. Those two guys are on this team. They're going to have to start for you this year. So I didn't look at linebacker. But defensive tackle, uh, two names that I think are are relatively realistic here. Dalvin Tomlinson on the New York Giants. This dude is an awesome run stopper. His 13 run stops this year are second in the NFL among defensive linemen. That would be a guy you could step in. You know, he is a little bit of experience playing the nose. Um, You can step him, plug him in right there. Your run defense gets an awful lot better when you got the Titans, the Vikings, the Packers coming up on your schedule. Um, Another guy in there who might make a little bit of sense would be Avery Jones on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, He'd pay him about a prorated version of the $4 million he's owed this year. Decent run stuffer, nothing special. He's been on some good defenses there in Jacksonville. Probably wouldn't cost you more than a late-round pick to go get him because he will be a free agent after this year. And then, hey, just for fun, Ken, I threw Quinn and Williams on there. Okay. You know, why, you know, why not? Quinn and, you, you can imagine Quinn and Williams and Akeem Hicks playing next to each other. I just said don't sacrifice the farm for two, you know, 2021. But, hey, you know, at least talk about it. Talk about yeah. going to Quinn and Williams. He's one of the best interior defensive linemen, young interior defensive linemen in the NFL. The Jets, you know, they're in total teardown mode. He's not a Joe Douglas guy. There have been some rumblings that they might be willing to trade him too. Um, I don't think I would do it, but you know, at least fun to consider it. That David show right now, we have J.J. Stankovich. Follow him at J.J. Stankovich. Real quick, let me get on both when it comes to offensive uh, offensive guard and, and DT tackle. Let me get your premium as far as if you were giving up the farm with what you do. But if you were trying to look at stopgap guys that could probably just this season take you there, but you will still be able to keep that draft collateral because we know you have to get some depth since you traded away draft collateral. Which way would you go in that direction, J.J.? At guard, if I'm going for the farm, I'm trading for Kevin Zeitler. Um, mm-hmm. He's really good and would be worth the upgrade there. Um, and then, you know, if we were just saying, yeah, forget about 2021, you go get him. On defensive line, I honestly, do, I, I still wouldn't go get Quinn and Williams, but I would do what I could to get Dalvin Tomlinson. Okay. If Dave Gettleman is willing to part with him, he's going to be free agent after this year, so you can get Eddie Goldman back and not really have to worry about having too many, as if there's such a thing as too many great defensive linemen. You don't want to overload on run stuffers, though. Uh, right. I think Dalvin Tomlinson would be a really, really good short-term addition for this Bears team if they could go get him. He's due less than a million bucks the rest of the year. Um, Wouldn't hurt your cap next year. Maybe you give up a a third-round pick to go get him. But that might be worth it at this point if you're really selling yourself on this defense in 2020. And listen, 
I'm, I'm with you. You definitely don't want to overload on run stuffers, but even when you see with Eddie Goldman opting out, we can just say if Eddie Goldman gets hurt next year, you see how bad, well, how, how precarious your run defense becomes. It may make sense just to get another guy. You know what I'm saying? Just in case he doesn't have to be a premium guy, but in case, I mean, even just for, for depth, it would make sense to get someone and allow Nichols to be on the player's position, especially since where Robinson Harris is probably going to be end up being gone anyway. And I want mm-hmm. to you on him a little bit later. So listen, I'm a curmudgeon. Um, dude, I have been stressed watching these games. And it's so funny, right? I'm sitting there, uh, I'm watching the game in the basement. You know, so the old lady is, is back in the utility room uh, washing some clothes. And I'm screaming, and she's like, what? Why isn't this fun for you? And I'm like, listen, like you're saying it like it should be suspenseful fun, but this is just like tense pressure. Like there, there's, and I, I understand winning ugly. I'm with winning ugly, right? But at least give me like, four to five minutes at the end of the game to where I can relax and know the game is over. Maybe I could turn the red zone. I mean, just allow me to use my cable box. So how have you felt with this five and one schedule? It is great that they're five and one, but how do you feel about this team? Are they a strong five and one? How, how much do you believe in this team so far? JJ? They're not a strong five and one, but they're five and one. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of wiggle room to fix their issues in the coming weeks. Wiggle room that a lot of teams around the NFL do not have. I mean, there there are teams out there that are two and three and are just complete disasters. You know, teams that are two and four and all of a sudden are are like, I don't know, we're we're gonna we have enough to make the playoffs. And the the Bears have given themselves such an incredible runway to really get this thing to take off that I am I am. I'm like you. I mean, I, the Under Center podcast, I got yelled at by David Kaplan and Cam Ellis on the pod after Sunday's game because I was like, I, th- this team, if they make the same mistakes they made against Carolina, they're going to get their butts kicked by the Rams, the Saints, and the Titans in the next three weeks. Right. But at the same time, they can now go out and fix those mistakes. They can try to do that. The worry that I have with this team, Ken, is that Matt Nagy talked after the game against the Buccaneers. Like, got to fix the details. That, that wasn't good enough. Got to fix the details. They had 10 days to fix the details and they came out and the details just weren't there again. And they they beat Carolina because Carolina, while I really like what they're doing there, Mm -hmm. they're much closer to a rebuilder than a contender. Correct. So now you're getting the Rams, a team that you are going to be fighting maybe for a playoff spot with, for playoff seeding with on Monday night football in Los Angeles. This is a test for this bears team. And I like – look, the, the Bears beat a really good Buccaneers team. That was a really, really good win they had on Thursday Night Football. Anyone who tries to diminish that by saying, well, the, you know, the Bucs, the, the, you know, whatever, the Bucs beat the crap out of the Packers. Right. The, that win the Bears had against the Buccaneers is one of the best wins an NFL team has had this season, bar none. Mm-hmm. But at the same point – you know, the week before, the Bears got their butts kicked by the Colts. That should not have been an eight-point game. That was a 16-point game. And it wasn't and, larger than that, actually. Right, yeah. That. Thank God the defense played as well as they did. Correct. Um, otherwise, that would have been, you know, we were talking about Cardinals-Cowboys kind of blow out like that. <laughs> but the, this is where I think the Bears stand. They are banking that their defense will continue to win them games and that at some point this year, Nick Foles is going to get hot. And you hope he gets hot at the right time, which would be end of December, early January. And they, they have a lot of room right now. The, the great thing about being five and one is that 
in the current playoff format of seven teams, the, these numbers were run by some folks on Twitter. Teams that start five and one would have a, a 90% chance of making the playoffs. So while the, you can say all oh, the bears, uh, you know, they're not all that good, all that they're five and one. And they're probably you know, all they have to do over their next 10 games is be 500 and they'll get to 10 wins. Right. That's, that's not that hard to do. So, and then if you get to 10 wins and you get in the playoffs, you got Nick Foles as your quarterback, one of the greatest playoff quarterbacks of all time. And all of a sudden, hey, you wind up playing for the NFC Championship. Who knows? <laughs> that, that is the crazy thing, man. Like, th- this team, for as unimpressive and for as frustrating as they are, and for as many people are like you who are just, like, like just frustrated watching this team, they have such an amount of wiggle room to screw up and fix those mistakes that a lot of other teams in the NFL wish they had right now. I totally, I totally agree. That David show, JJ Stankovich, covers the Bears for NBC Sports Chicago. Also check out the Undercity, Undercity podcast. Uh, JJ, listen, I want to stick with the defense, all right? Uh, one, statistic, statistically, this defense is as good or as better as 2018. If I started saying this to you three weeks ago, it would be sacrilegious, right? But right now, it's you're starting to get those stops and what they're doing in the red zone. That's really the key. It's, I call it Belchekian, all right? Like what they're doing, because you can bend no break all the way up into for 80 yards, but what they're doing in the red zone, it throws back to, okay, you guys can be special on this side. So defensively, do you believe that these, this defense can play to the level as the 2018 defense did? I'm starting to believe it. Um, you know, that it's, it's, it's a little different than 2018 because 2018, they had so many takeaways mm-hmm. and those came in waves and in bunches. I don't know if that's going to happen this year, but the way that this team plays defense, I mean, their coverage is so good. Right. And I think that has been the, the most pleasant surprise of the team. We knew, we knew Kyle Fuller and Eddie Jackson, right? But for Jalen Johnson to step in and play the way he has, I know he gave up some plays against Carolina, but if you really watch that tape, Jalen Johnson played a good game. He did. And then Tashawn Gibson already has as many picks as HaHa Clinton Dix had last year. It looks like that is a much better safety pairing with Eddie Jackson. The, the things that the Bears are starting to be able to do in the back end of their defense, and then you add in Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, and Akeem Hicks rushing the passer – Man, I don't know. That's tough. I don't know how offenses are going to play against this team because to allow three touchdowns in your last three games, and, yeah, you're giving up field goals, but you are making stops when you need to make those stops. And that belief, I think that the biggest thing, Ken, between the the 2018 team and the 2020 team is they got that belief. Mm -hmm. I remember the the Bears played that game in Thanksgiving in 2018 where – Eddie Jackson had the pick six to give him the lead. Matt Stafford goes right back down, leads the lines to the, the doorstep, tying the game. And Danny Trevathan gave a, a talk to that team, being like, hey, this is our moment. Let's go out and, like, you know, let's cement our legacy, essentially, is what he was saying. And then on the next play, Kyle Fuller picked off the pass in the end zone to win the game. Like, that team believed they were going to go out and make plays. I think this 2020 team is starting to believe that. When you, when you do it – as many times as they've done it now in the red zone, in, on third down, that stuff helps, and and it helps Chuck Pagano call games. And you know that even thinking back to that 2018 team, they were giving up points through the first six weeks of the season. They gave up a lot of points in Miami. They gave up 24 points uh, to the Patriots, who had two mm-hmm. special teams touchdowns in that game. 
it wasn't really till week seven, eight, nine that their defense started to come together. And then they had that game against the Vikings. That was their like, you know, their, their seminal moment uh, that they've arrived game. They might be building toward that, this Bears defense. We'll see because the Rams, Saints, and Titans are going to be no joke for them to defend against in the next three weeks. You are getting me hyped. You've, tur- you've turned love it. I love into it. a smile, right? Now, something when, when I talked to you on Shine and Maya's show about a month and a half ago, one of the questions was Eddie Jackson, who, again, smacked my face, Eddie Jackson, for being disrespectful, looking at those targets that you're not, that you, that you're not getting, all right? Showing you that the rest of the league, it, it, even if I said that at the beginning of the year, the rest of the league is saying you are in that rare air. Uh, and just looking at that second, the secondary is so crazy. And you've already named the names. But the guy that brings a smile to my heart, right, and I love Rotide, I love Eddie Jackson, is Cal Fuller. And I feel, when I look around the league at rankings of the top cornerbacks, and I go deep, because I'm like, where's Cal Fuller at, right? And I'm in the third tier, and I'm like, where's Cal Fuller? Where does Cal Fuller rank? Because right now, for me, and I could, I could be a homer, and it's also what I'm watching the majority of the time, if he's not in the top three, he's in the top five. Like, because I, I feel like, He's doing everything from, from press, from zone, from, 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 from uh, stop run tackling. I, it's, he's doing everything, and I feel like no one's really talking about it. Yeah, you know, I can't speak to the other cornerbacks around the league, but I think I know all-pro quarterback play when I see it. Kyle Fuller is playing like an all-pro. Mm. I mean, the, the, the coverage that he's playing, you can see how much more comfortable he is in year two in this scheme with the assignments, the reads, uh, just his relationship with the Shea Townsend and Chuck Pagano, it, he's so much more comfortable. We're seeing Kyle Fuller again. And, I mean, the hits that this dude is, is laying on guys, like the NFL doesn't know how to officiate it because they're like, <laughs> that was too hard of a hit. It must have been a foul. Right. Even though it's not. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and, and just the, everything Kyle Fuller is doing is at the highest of high levels right now. It's really, really fun to watch. Um, you know, again, I – I can't speak to how other corners around the league are playing. I haven't got into it that much, but the numbers to me show that Kyle Fuller is a top three corner in the NFL with the yards allowed per route, the the catch percentage per route, all those advanced stats. Um, Kyle Fuller is playing. He's he's right at the top of them. He's playing great. And I'm, I'm absolutely with you. He is a joy to watch right now. He, he, he is. He, it elates my heart, especially to think about how far we came from Big Fangio questioning him and then him stepping up. And yeah, right. You, yeah, you, but you, you love hearing those stories, though. You like when, when it seems like that a player is going to separate and it turns around and it just doesn't turn around, that player takes off. And it, it's still – that was four years ago, basically. Yeah, four years ago. And he's at a higher level than he was at that contract year. So, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate his play. It's definitely outstanding. I want to get down into the defensive line and Roy Robinson-Harris. Um, I've been a fan of Roy Robinson-Harris for at least four seasons since his rookie, his rookie year. Maybe, no, it was the preseason of his second season. I, that's what I think he stood out to me. And I was like, who is this guy? But I haven't heard since like the first game. And my question is, will we see more reps with Mario Edwards uh, with the fact that uh, Roy Robinson Harris, and he's, he's, he's just not getting there. And if, if you don't have your, 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 your nose tackle, so at least you need your five technique guy to be making some type of disruption. Yeah. You know, Roy Robinson Harris last year had two and a half sacks. He had three sacks the year before, two sacks the year before. Um, we're, we're just not seeing it yet, but yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you, man. Like, Mario Edwards Jr., this, he's got to be one of the most efficient pass rushers in the NFL. The snaps he's getting and the impact he's making on those snaps has been awesome. 
Like he's he's pressuring quarterbacks at a rate that kind of is what we saw from Roy Robertson Harris the last couple of years. I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Uh, I'd be interested to see how those snaps continue to kind of evolve this year. Because the other guy, Brent Urban's playing pretty well on that D-line too. He, mm-hmm. He's made some meaningful contributions. Uh, shout out to Jay Rogers, by the way. I mean, I tweeted this the other day. It's like every year he they unearth some Drew. off-the-radar guy. Yeah. <laughs> it was Roy Robertson Harris in 2017. Then it was Bilal Nichols in 2018. All of a sudden, Nick Williams comes out and has like seven sacks last year in 2019. <laughs> now this year, we're seeing it with Mario Edwards and Brent Urban. And that's, I mean, that is a testament to a great position coach, great scouting between the front office and the position coach. Um, Roy Robertson Harris, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it. This is a contract year for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for his sake, he, he'd like to get some more sacks and more pressures. Um, right now, though, the Bears aren't like totally missing it, which is interesting. Um, I think it'll come. He's still a really good player. You know, eventually he'll get his. Uh, maybe he'll get, you know, two sacks in a game at some point. But for now, though, you know, the Bears D-line is not suffering when it comes to pass rush. No. Not at all. That's uh, thankfully it's it's finally start to come on, and we know that Khalil Mack was slow. Even though this past week's game was more of a covered sack, still he got a sack. I'll take the sack rather than no sacks. That Davis show, JJ Stankovich, uh, covers the Bears for NBC Sports here in Chicago. Make sure you always check out the Under Center Under Center podcast. Follow him at JJ Stankovich. JJ, my last question about the defense is Chuck Pagano. Um, listen, these last two to three games. Well, I guess after perhaps. The indie game. So I guess I'm talking about the Tampa game and this this game against Carolina. Um, listen, I, I'm I'm feeling it. I'm starting to feel it. And I, the question I have, he should be familiar with this defense having them all last year. But with a guy that likes to bring pressure, there's always the fear that if I bring pressure and my quarterback can't cover up for a blown coverage or a man out on the island by himself and he gets burnt, then how are we going to get those points back? Is Chuck Pagano freed, or is this just something where they, they, they got, the defense has just gotten hot at this spot during the season? It's a really good question because I, I think there's something to Pagano playing a little more conservative, knowing the offense that he's being paired with. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're a defensive coordinator and you're blitzing all the time and you're, you're leaving some stuff exposed and you know your offense can't cover if you do give up those big plays, you don't do that. So I, I do think Pagano has kind of altered his philosophy to fit the offense that he's paired with. But now you're starting to see him get aggressive at the right times. And this is what Vic Fangio is really, really good at. That blitz he sent Roquan Smith on on Sunday, where it was third and goal, he sent a backside blitz with Roquan to Teddy Bridgewater's blindside. Bridgewater did not see it, kind of negated the boot action on the play, Mm. Uh, I think it was the fullback was late getting over there. He hit Bridgewater as he threw passes incomplete. That's the kind of stuff that made Vic Fangio's defenses go from good to great. Those like targeted blitzes. Remember how good Vic was with those of Sherrick McManus? Yes. Like, like, oh, Sherrick's on the field. I guess he's blitzing, and then he hit home on it. I think you're starting to see it with Pagano now, where he's starting to send blitzes at the right time. And it also helps that their coverage, like I was saying earlier, at the back end has been really, really good. You can trust Jalen Johnson and Kyle Fuller. And even Buster Screens made some good plays this year. You know, don't discount him there. Uh, I think that has also helped Pagano. And now that you're, we're getting close to a year and a half in with this defense, calling plays for this defense, I think you're starting to see him understand the, the strengths of this defense more. 
but also understand how to cover for the weaknesses mm-hmm. of it and, and make sure that those don't keep showing up. Like, you know, early in the season they did with Danny Trevathan and coverage. Look, I, I want to go, oh, but you brought up Roquan. I have to ask you about Roquan's play. You, you have a better eye than I do. How's Roquan's play at least been for the last few games? Are we starting to see him being the player that we expect him to be as highly as he We are. Yeah, that game against Carolina was, I think, the best game he's played in a Bears uniform. Um, he was all over the field. And, you know, going into that game, Mike Davis was second in the NFL among running backs in receptions, targets, and receiving yards. Mike Davis had two catches for three yards. They, they didn't want to throw him the ball. They couldn't throw him the ball. Whatever it was, I think Roquan Smith had a huge impact on that, that they just could not get Mike Davis involved in their passing game when he had been so effective earlier in the season. So, you know, and what Roquan was doing against the run, he could tell, you could tell he remembered and wanted to make sure that those missed tackles he had against Tampa Bay were not going to show back up against Carolina. That was a physical of a game as Roquan played. Um, I thought that that was, yeah, his best game as a bear and something he can definitely continue to build on going forward. That Davis show here with JJ Stankovich, follow him at JJ Stankovich, JJ. Listen, you mentioned it, and I know it's best-case scenario as far as Nick Foles. And it, it is, is it really be correct as far as what he's been doing as far as getting hot at the right time, especially because usually Carson Wentz got hurt probably by about week 10, week 13. Uh, it's up and down, man. <laughs> and listen, I prefer to have him in there than Mitch, all right? But wow, that interception, that fumble recovery. <laughs> it's like it's like he was dedicating that ball to to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, so my, my my fear is is this is this what we're gonna get? Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is is this what we're gonna get? Because of course, if he was a world beater perennially, he wouldn't have been on the open market. You know, like we know the first season with Andy Reid, and then we know the two years with Philadelphia where he had to come in. But then we saw what happened last year with Jacksonville. So should I expect that he's gonna be consistent but get the yips? Or is it a situation that he didn't get the reps and this is maybe is going to smooth out uh, as the season progresses? Well, the Bears will tell you, you the second thing you said, that things are going to smooth out is what's going to happen. But I'm a believe it when I see it kind of guy. And I didn't see it during the short part of training camp. I have not seen it outside of two quarters in Atlanta during the regular season. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think that there's part of me that trusts that Nick Foles is going to get on, go on a hot streak at some point this year. Mm-hmm. And will that be in the playoffs when maybe you're facing some defenses that are better? You know, we'll see. But I think what you've seen out of Foles the last three weeks is kind of what you're going to get, which yeah. isn't super inspiring. But you also trust him to go make a, a key pass at a key part of the game that can help you get a win. You know, against Tampa Bay, it was that – Dropping the buckets, David Montgomery on the wheel route uh, against Carolina. His third down conversion to Allen Robinson, where he had the roughing the passer uh, tacked onto it. That was a big time throw that he made there. You know, there is the rest of the game going to be pretty? No, but like you said, Ken, you know that's why he was on the open market. If if you were getting Nick Foles playoff Nick Foles in the regular season, the Jaguars went to trade at him, right. and the Eagles might not have got rid of him. <laughs> so. You know, that, that, that goes that – I think this is kind of who he is. It's going to be baseline like this for the rest of the year, but you might get some spikes, and you hope you get the spike at the right time. 
I so appreciate you keeping it a hundred because this is just how I feel watching it. I mean, you want to kind of lie to yourself, but you also want to go with the facts of who that man is. And like, also, we've watched Eagles football. Some of these throws we've seen there, right? Like, we've seen those sailing balls. So it's just one of those things. I, I do want them in, but part of it I know is going to be a slight roller coaster. I won't be super crazy. I think the big difference would be if they scored a lot. Like, then it wouldn't be an issue if they were getting 28 points a game if he gave one up. But when you're getting 20 points and, I mean, struggling, it's just one of those things where it's just like, whoa. But listen. I want to stick with the offense. I want to talk about Matt Nagy. I have been a guy that has went from I love Matt Nagy to this season. I like Matt Nagy until finally the last game. I was like, I don't know if I need Matt Nagy. And it's because I looked at, I viewed him as having the potential to be an offensive genius, right? I did. That's how I mean. Early on, I know the first season, there's not a lot of tape on you. So you can get away with a lot of stuff because a lot of people don't know your tricks. And we saw last year when people figured out really what what he could do, uh, one, because of of Mitch, but also what he enjoyed to do, how they basically clamped down on this this offense. Where do you put Matt Nagy offensively as far as how how really – is he special, I guess is the question I I should ask you. I know we could say Mitch was holding him back. Some people would say you're supposed to break out of Mitch. But now you actually have someone who's competent, and it's still the play call seems wonky at times. Special? No, I don't think so. Special when it comes to what he can do on off, you know, as an offensive mind. But here's where I will defend Matt Nagy. The Bears are five and one. Mm-hmm. Like True. The, this team probably should not be five and one. Last year they should have <laughs> been eight and eight. Right. Should have been worse than eight and eight. And yet, Matt Nagy has proven to be a really good head coach. I agree. I don't think he's proven – right. He hasn't been the offensive mind that he was necessarily billed as. But as a head coach, I want that guy in my corner. Mm -hmm. Because at some point, it starts to be – it's not a fluke when you start winning these games and you start maybe punching above your weight a little bit as a team with the talent that you have on the team. And I think Matt Nagy has a lot to do with that. The culture he sets in that building is really, really important here. The culture he sets on the sideline is really important. Uh, I, I, you know, in terms of his offense, there are a lot of things that you, you, you just scratch your head at. Um, but it's like my colleague Adam Hogue wrote this week, you know, a bad offensive line will make any play caller look bad. True. And the Bears don't have a good offensive line. So it's kind of hard for Matt Nagy sometimes – to run what he really wants to run when his offensive line is playing like garbage. So they, they need to it, – it's this combination of Nagy's offense not working the way it's supposed to and the personnel not working the way they're supposed to. But I, I always will say, like, give me Matt Nagy, the head coach, 10 times out of 10. I don't know if I'm taking the offensive mind, mm. but give me the head coach. And I don't know if maybe this, this means in a year Matt Nagy's not calling plays. I don't mm. know. Maybe he, he has to take a look at himself and say, you know what, like, I got to give up play calling to someone else. They, they got to design the offense differently. But I want to be here as a head coach because I know what I'm doing. And if he said that, he would be well within his rights to defend himself as the Bears head coach and stick here for a long time. That David show here with J.J. Stankovich. Listen, I want to get back to the offensive line that you just mentioned as far as uh, not being a very good offensive line and you're not taking a shot. That's just facts. Well, listen, why don't they chip and assist Charles Leno Jr. at all for the most part? Like any any time you really see the, the other tight end, of course, unless they go 12, 
but he's he's next to the right tackle. He's next to Massey, and Massey needs less help than the guy with the super edge rusher on him. Like, is is this just the system? But it just seems like help him. We know who he is. Give him some assistance. Why does there seem to be some hesitation as far as assisting Charles Leno Jr. a little bit? It's a good question. Um, I think the Bears have done a little more of that this year. You're seeing a lot more pass-blocking situations for their tight ends, especially with Cole Komet, Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, they're going to a lot more max-protect concepts. But, you know, they they still leave Charles Leno on an island sometimes. And I don't think Charles Leno is as bad as a lot of people think. But, you know, I think his upside is he's about a league average left tackle, which is like this offensive line's upside. They're just like a league average offensive line at best. Yeah. I don't think they can get there without James Daniels anymore, unless they go out and make a trade like we were saying earlier. Um, this offensive line, though, you know, we got sold on Juan Castillo being the thing that would fix it. And I was always kind of doubting that. At the start of the year, I was looking like, man, they're playing really well. Maybe it is Juan Castillo. Mm-hmm. Then the Falcons started running some stunts. And all of a sudden – this offensive line just like can't pick them up and it just simple stunts where guys are going into <laughs> gaps that aren't right in front of them. Right. The, the communication on this offensive line has just not been there. And it, I think it's only going to get worse now that you don't have Daniels in there and you got to replace him. But yet the offensive line has still been better than it was last year when it was a total disaster. Correct. So I don't quite know what to make of it, but look, what they did against Carolina was nothing short of just, completely demoralizing to watch like Carolina entered that game averaging 5.4 yards per carry you know their opponents on the ground mm-hmm. the Bears averaged 2.5 yards per carry that is and and it wasn't just them getting their butts kicked by inferior players I, I I'm doing a film breakdown on NBCSportsChicago.com on Wednesday where I the play I looked at with my colleague Adam Hogue was a, a run where you got Rashad you got Rashad Coward and Cole Komet pulling from left to right into a gap cleared by Jermaine Effetti and Bobby Massey. All those two players have to do is block the two linebackers in the gap. Cole Komet hit his guy to hear Whitehead. Rashad Coward got into the hole, was right in front of Shaq Thompson, and turned and blocked to hear Whitehead. And then Shaq Thompson's standing there. David Montgomery's got to cut back, but Rashad Coward is right on top of him, so he can't hit the hole aggressively. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Cody Whitehair is losing leverage against Brian Burns, the play goes for a yard when it probably should have gone for 50. Because mm. you would have David Montgomery running free against a safety who's second in the league and missed tackles. <laughs> These are the kind of mistakes that have to drive Matt Nagy nuts and have to lead to him not trusting his offensive line. All right. So, listen, we got this game coming up against the Rams on Monday night. Outside of Aaron Donald, what do the Bears need to do to win this game? They've got to still stop Los Angeles in the red zone. When L.A. gets down into the red zone, they have got to continue to make stops on defense. Uh, I, th- this, to me, is the biggest challenge for the Bears' red zone defense because Sean McVay's got a lot of really good concepts to beat opposing defenses in the red zone. They probably should have done it a little more against the 49ers on Sunday Night Football, but Cooper Cup couldn't catch the ball. Worked out great for my fantasy team. That has <laughs> on it. Um, but, you know, they, there are ways that Sean McVay can go down and beat this Bears defense. Then again, he hasn't really done it. I mean, the, the Rams put up, what, nine points and 17 points against the Bears defenses in the last two years. Mm-hmm. So I think if the Bears can keep this thing low scoring and it does not turn into a shootout, we're talking like another 20 to 17 type game. I think they come out with a win. But – 
I do think this is going to be a real challenge for the defense to go, go up against a really well-schemed offense in Sean McVay, where if you're playing Ben don't break, is Sean McVay going to go break this defense? If, if they don't, I mean, if the Bears come out of this another game where they hold their opponent below 20 points and they win this game, Bears might have the best defense in football. So this is going to be a real challenge game, I think, for the Bears defense. Great point. Like when I when I when I searched up the league in my head, I think we are getting to that point. And it's not it's not being that, right now. It's them and the Steelers. Yeah, yeah. And listen, this, until last week, this past weekend, the Steelers were a little bit of question until Mika finally got one. Mm-hmm. I'm saying like, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty accurate. Listen. I'm falling in love with you, man. I just want you to know that. All right? Your eyes. Your eyes. I'm, I'm feeling it. Look, but uh, lucky enough, we have J.J. Stankovich from NBC Sports Chicago here. Make sure you always check out the Under Center podcast and always follow him at J.J. Stankovich. J.J., I really appreciate it. I look forward to talking to you in maybe a couple weeks. Anytime. Always fun talking with you. All right. Have, listen, have a great day. Yeah, you too.